1: All right, guys welcome back to the equipping you and grace podcast my name is dave and i'm the host for this podcast and i have another dave on the show today my friend david schrock we've been friends for i don't even know quite a while now so you There's know it's years. Good to, yeah it's good to good to reconnect with old friends so it's good to be here welcome to the welcome to the show brother can you uh just tell us about your you know your life marriage ministry what are you yep. working on ministry project wise those things
0: yeah, so I live in Northern Virginia, just outside of Washington, D.C., been here for about, about six, seven years, pastor of a church called Occoquan uh, Bible Church. Um, one of the pastors there, a teaching pastor. Um, been married to my wife, Wendy, for 15, going on 16 years. So we have four uh, active children that we try to keep up with. And uh, so regular preaching here, about ready to start the Gospel of John next week. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. Um just finished teaching at Indianapolis Theological Seminary. So I teach theology there a few times a year. Uh, and in between, we'll do some writing uh, on my blog uh, and do some other things, um, including this book.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Great. Wonderful. Well, you want to tell us about this book, The Royal Priesthood and the Glory of God, why you wrote it and how yeah. you hope it'll be received, brother?
0: Yeah, I'd be happy to. Uh, so really, the priesthood is a theme and a topic in scripture that I've been studying for more than a decade Um, So I did my uh, MDiv at Southern Seminary and then did my PhD there as well. And my dissertation had to do with the biblical theology of the priesthood. Uh, So at that time, I was really wrestling through understanding what the extent of the atonement was and what the design of the atonement was. And so really saw uh, the priestly themes in scripture as a really helpful entry point to that question. Um, And that's just continued to, to shape the way that I think about ministry, not just for the question of what is, you know, the extent of the atonement, but All of life. I mean, one of the things that I found in that study was that really we find priesthood beginning in the Garden of Eden, going all the way through the Old Testament, the New. Of course, Jesus Christ is our great high priest, uh, and it's something that carries all the way to the book of Revelation as well. Uh, So among the big themes in the Bible of kingdom and temple and sacrifice, uh, priesthood's at the top. Uh, and so that's been really helpful for me to put the Bible together, to understand a number of things in the scriptures. Uh, and then over the years, as I've taught that more and more uh, to those in the church, I think there's just been a real appetite for that uh, because there have not been. Uh, a lot of evangelicals who have taught a lot about uh, the priesthood. I think oftentimes it seemed to be something of the Roman Catholic uh, variety, uh, something that uh, Catholics talk about, but really there's goodness uh, in the priesthood for us, and so that's really where I got introduced to it, and uh, really hopeful to to be able to share that uh, in this new book.
1: Well, as always, your, your writing is rigorously biblical. That's one of the things I obviously really appreciate about you and you you do an awesome job pointing people at Christ and this book mm-hmm. is does this, does a great job. I, I love this this short studies in biblical theology. I think it's phenomenal. So I mean, it's so it's so good, even for a guy that, you know, I have a degree in Masters in the Bible. Which doesn't mean I master the Bible. and just like you have a PhD. You know, it's like you have to say that though, because people are like, "What does that mean?" Like, "What did you?" Yeah, I I just I didn't master the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) The Bible mastered me, of course. Is mastering me? That's the hope. Yeah, Amen. Amen. Well, it's a good book. Well, brother, in what way? You know, you write about the cultural icons of our day. Um, So, in what way are the cultural icons of our day the priests of our age? I, I really like this part of the book.
0: Yeah, so that's where I begin. And I think this is probably a thought that came from um, James K.A. Smith. And just talking about we live in a liturgical world, uh, right? I mean, God made us in his image. Uh, and when he placed Adam and Eve in the garden, there's a garden temple aspect that is there. That theme of temple is going to pervade the scriptures. Uh, and, and really what that means is that we cannot get away from worship. Uh, and we cannot get away from the image bearing fact that we are priests. And so we look at the world around us. Uh, And there's so many ways in which we see this. So just a a simple and maybe even a silly example uh, would be going to the Apple store, right? You go to the Apple store um, and what you do there is you go and you find a priest. You find kind of these layers of priests to get to the genius bar in this kind of temple uh, place with a great apple, a half eaten apple uh, there on the back wall. Uh, And the closer you get, the more, you know, you know. Experience that you have of apple Uh, and of course you have to make your sacrifice by going to the ATM and getting the money that you'd have there as well And so you can think about that in liturgical ways Uh, And I think it's helpful to frame the way that we can be drawn in uh, To making idols and following idols through these different setups that are there Uh, So that's one silly example, maybe one that's even more It might be controversial, uh, but one that's more prescient to us even right now uh, Is the way in which we live in a world where uh, science is our savior Uh, and the way that various vaccines have been offered as almost sacraments uh, to be able to have access to go into the places of the world. And you have the priests, including those like a, um, you know, Dr. Fauci, who who serves as this prophet-priest character. Uh, And so again, whatever feelings may be on all of that, it's helpful to see the way in which there are religious connotations to everything in life. And what scripture gives to us is the true priesthood that is found in Christ, the true access that is found into his temple, uh, and the true identity that is found in being sons of God, daughters of God, who have priestly access uh, into that place of worship.
1: Yeah that's that's really good and and you're so and you're so right you know we're not you're not being inflammatory by bringing up fauci and you're just pointing out that this is what the culture does they're looking to him mm-hmm. as a prophet priest king mm-hmm. and you know he he is providing advice I think outside of the scope of, of what his job is just, mm-hmm. that's my opinion. Okay. Just to clarify, <laughs> so, you yeah. know, uh, but people are looking to him as the quote unquote expert as they do with all medical stuff. And, you know, you could even, he write about the sports thing. I mean, you look at how we, you know, idolize sports in our culture. Yeah. Now I grew up and I played sports. I, I, in high school, they, I could have been a professional golfer. You know, so like I idolized that. So I understand yeah. like that, that world and we do it. We yeah. idolize sports. It's not just science or whatever, quote unquote, right. you know, Fauci says he is science. Well, my yeah. goodness, <laughs> that, that just, that, that doesn't prove what you just said. I mean, nothing yeah. does. So
0: Yeah. And, and, and sports is a great illustrator of that as well, because there's a kind of glory that is there. Right. And we're created for glory. And the shape of that glory in the scriptures is a is a priestly mediating shape. So that, again, if you meet this celebrity, there's a kind of glory attached to them. And now by knowing them, you have access into this kind of place and identity and access. Uh, And so I think it's helpful to realize that's the way that the world works. That's the way that Satan works into our hearts. And so if we're going to find a robust identity in Christ, we need to see what the true glory is and how that fl- plays out in Christ and then being priests in his uh, His kingdom, priests in his temple.
1: If we really want to be controversial, we could say the same is true in the church today. You know, we look to you know, supposed celebrity pastors or oh, yeah. pastors or whatever. And, yep. and people say, Oh, Dave is so well known. I'm like, dude, Dave is a nobody. Okay. Yeah. Dave is just a servant and an instrument of God's word. You know, yeah. I am just a servant, another person. And, no, I, and I, Anybody I, who meets me, anybody who meets me knows that like, I'm just a reg- very regular, hopefully humble guy who doesn't think too much, hopefully doesn't think too much of himself, but just tries to be helpful to other people. But
0: so, there yeah, are. Yeah, I mean, I can, I can give you a story on that. I mean, I remember talking to a, a certain celebrity pastor who preached a famous sermon on seashells, right? So, some might know who that is. And talking <laughs> <with him laughs> after a certain message at Southern Seminary, uh, and just thanking him for the word, and literally, someone came up behind him to touch him, like you know, touching the hem of Jesus' garments or something, touching the pose. Like that's strange, uh, that but is. that's the way in which you know people will will treat uh, figures like John Piper.
1: Yep. Yep. Well, you just you just uh, I like gave that. it away. <laughs> did. I, did. I think everybody knows who that is. That's right. If you don't, you need to go listen to that sermon for sure. Oh, yeah. yeah, good stuff. Well, uh, why is learning what priests do essential to discipleship? I really appreciate you talking about this.
0: Yeah, so again, if discipleship is being redeemed and restored uh, to be the image of God, Right. So every single person is made in the image of God. I mean, this month remembers what happened with the decision Roe v. Wade and why pro-life movements and the abolition movements are are important. Um, so with that regard, if that's true, uh, then there's also a priestly element to that being made in the image of God. Uh, and so knowing the priesthood, even knowing the details of, let's say, of Leviticus helps us to know what we're called to be. Who Jesus is called to be. Uh, in fact, this last year, um, our adult Bible study on Tuesday nights went through the book of Leviticus, uh, and most people came into it I think apprehensive of studying that book. said, it's the most exciting book you've never read, um, because when you begin to understand what's there, it has so many applications for uh, our life in Christ and our discipleship. And so again, to be made in the image of God, to be renewed in the image of God, requires us to understand the role and the actions of the priests.
1: Mm. Yeah. Uh, question. Uh, what What would you say to somebody who's struggling reading Leviticus? What What kind of advice <laughs> would you give them?
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. A couple things. Uh, one, read it with Hebrews. Right? Hmm. The whole reason that you can read Leviticus and take heart and take comfort in it is because of what Hebrews does with Leviticus. Uh, so I'd read those two things together. Uh, two, uh, I would not read Leviticus one chapter a day. So what I mean by that is that the like the Robert Murray McShane plan uh, often kind of puts you at one or two chapters a day. And like if you read Leviticus one through seven over the course of seven days, you'll be pulling your hair out. Uh, the point of Leviticus one through seven, uh, there's different sacrifices that are there is to kind of give a framework of all all the needs and all the necessities of those sacrifices in total and reminding ourselves that Christ has fulfilled all of them. So I think even in the ESV study Bible, there's some notes there on some of the theological points uh, that are there in those sacrifices that help us to understand them. Uh, And so I would look at kind of the bigger structures and the bigger pictures uh, of how Leviticus works together to understand what it means and reminding ourselves that at the center of Leviticus is not law, but it's atonement. Right. The day of atonement is at the center of Leviticus and may even be the center of the law of Moses. And if it is, that means in the heart of the law is the gospel, uh, which Jesus Christ comes and fulfills.
1: Mm. Yep. This is why I appreciate you so much. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Yeah. so are good. Uh, in what way does Genesis give us a pattern of priesthood?
0: Yeah. So. Again, there will be different approaches to how we can see priesthood in the Bible. So I begin right in the beginning. Uh, and the reason why I do is because I think there's language there of the instruction to Adam and Eve to guard and to uh, serve in the garden, or maybe to cultivate and keep is the way that that is. But it's the same instructions that are given to the Levites, given to the priests, and maybe we'll get to this, but the Levites and the priests are, are not exactly the same, um, but are given to uh, the Levites in particular in the book of Numbers. And so the only place in the law of Moses where cultivate and keep or serve and guard, it's the same words in Hebrew, um, that are used together is of the priests. And so that means that Adam Uh, is functioning as a priest in the sacred space there on the mountain of God. Uh, And so I think understanding that his primary role there is one of guarding, then helps us understand what he's to guard from as the unclean serpent is going to come and to deceive and to bring uncleanness uh, into the midst. And his authority and his command was to crush the head of the serpent. He doesn't do that. Uh, Instead, he rebels against God follows the words of the serpent, um, and in doing so, he fails to have the right to continue to be a priest. And so the way I read Ezekiel 28 is that this fall of the uh, the prince or the king of Tyre is framed after Adam, is that Adam fell from glory because he did not keep the law of God. Uh, and so he did not guard that sacred space, therefore he can no longer continue to serve that. And then, of course, what we more often associate with priests of sacrifice is what is going to take place thereafter because of the sin that has entered into uh, humanity from that point. Um, so I think it's more to see the guarding aspect. And there may even be a teaching aspect there as well, uh, because Adam would have received this instruction from the Lord. And then he's to pass that on to Eve. He's there and he fails to to correct his wife when she makes just a, a couple of adjustments there in Genesis three. Uh, and again, God comes to him uh, and recognizes his responsibility for that. Uh, and so that's where the framework all begins. Uh, and one of the things we see there is the connection in that priest of royalty because he also has dominion over the earth and sonship. Uh, So even Leviticus, excuse me, uh, Luke chapter three, we'll talk about the fact that uh, Adam was a son of God. And so sonship, priesthood, kingship are all tied together in Adam, uh, which is one of the reasons why we'll need a new Adam uh, to come and to establish a new covenant uh, when Jesus Christ comes.
1: Which is another reason why we need to take Genesis so seriously. Oh yeah, and I think it's just a figurative myth, or 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 that you know Adam isn't a real person in real history. I mean, right. like Absolutely. like we're seeing all over the place. So mm-hmm. yeah. we, we got to take it for what it is. I mean, yeah, you know, one thing I think it's interesting, and um be interested. You know, Mormon Mormons I think misunderstand the the priesthood. Uh, what what would you what would you say like about that? You know, maybe we don't have any. I don't think we have any Mormons that listen, but we have Mormons, former Mormons that, that listen. And maybe you could help the elaborate on that a little bit so that they can understand a little bit of the the biblical difference, you know, what the Bible sees versus what Mormonism.
0: has. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And it's one that I've talked with. I don't know if you know the name Matt Amati, um, but he is a pastor in Utah, right in the heart of Mormon territory. He actually has a book coming out on Psalm 110 uh, in the New Studies in Biblical Theology series. We've talked about the need to have kind of a priestly apologetic uh, for Mormons at some point in time. Uh, at this point, I just haven't done enough study and research to know all the details there. But I would say this: there's a, what I do know is that there's a key emphasis on priesthood and Melchizedekian priesthood. Um, and what I would say is that that Melchizedekian priesthood is one that Christ Himself fulfills, right? And He is the fulfillment of that, right? It, it's been funny to kind of turn the the question a little bit. You know, all the study I've done on priesthood over the last ten or twelve years, I've had friends say, "Yeah, uh, so when are you going to become Catholic?" It's like I'm not. Because I understand that all of the priestly imagery in the Old Testament is fulfilled in Christ. And so, yes, there's a priesthood that is passed on to all those who are in Christ, but he is the high priest and there is no other mediator uh, that we need. He has fulfilled all of that. And because he's done that, um, then all of those things that get carried on in the Roman Catholic Church or get carried on in Mormonism are clearly aberrant. They're, they're wrong, according to a biblical theology of the priesthood, because Christ fills it all and then shares that identity with those who are in him.
1: Mm, I think that's really good. Yeah. Well, you have you have Mormons and even Jehovah's Witnesses who basically say the same thing. Mormons teach that, you know, salvation is is by grace but all that you can do and it's like wait Mm -hmm. it's the but all that you can do and and the official teaching of the jehovah's witnesses is is a little different they would say salvation is by faith by Mm. faith plus it's not plus but basically all that you can do like you do something to merit it yeah and it's like wait you don't merit it and you don't do anything for it god took the initiative and he's the one who saves Mm -hmm. and
0: so um you know, well, and you can see this actually in the book of Hebrews, right? Where are there sacrifices that are ongoing today? And by the end, of Hebrews they say, yeah, they are. It's a sacrifice of praise, right? The sacrifice of atonement has been completed once and for all. But now the sacrifices that we bring are prayer and praise uh, to the Lord. And so there is an ongoing aspect of priestly service and work, but it's not to gain access into the presence of God. It is to delight in the access that has been given to us um, and the good works that are now bestowed upon us, not to merit anything, not to justify ourselves, uh, but to enjoy the Lord and to bring him praise and worship.
1: Mm. Amen. I really like this part of the book where you talk about the priestly ministry in in the Gospels. Uh, yeah. What what five activities of Jesus in the Gospels form a priestly composite of himself?
0: Yeah. Are oh, you going to quiz me now? Because uh, I don't. Have a
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So well, just to start with, I mean, there's some controversy about whether or not Jesus is a priest in the Gospels. Really? Right? Yeah. Um, And so there are many uh, scholars who want to argue against it. I think there is a growing consent, not growing consensus, but there's a growing argument for Christ's priesthood in the Gospels. Um, But part of the argument comes from looking at something like Hebrews 8, uh, where it talks about that if he were on earth, he would not be a priest because on earth, that's where the Levitical priests served as priests. Uh, But I think that actually is taking one verse to make an argument instead of seeing how the whole scope of the priesthood works in the entire Bible. Um, And so just to give background before answering your question, like one of the things that we see, at least what I try to argue, is that before the priesthood is given to Aaron, uh, and his sons, right, which again is why the sons of Aaron are the priests and the Levites are added to them. And so, again, not all Levites are priests, even though all priests are Levites. Um, so we can see that Abraham functioned as a priest and Noah functioned as a priest and the sons of Abraham function as a priest. And you have Jethro and you have um, Melchizedek and, and others who are acting as priests, even though they don't have the, the legal title of being a priest. And so I think that's important for understanding that when Jesus comes, he acts as a priest. If he were to claim for himself before his exaltation, the role of priesthood, he'd be in violation of the law, right, because only the sons of Aaron uh, and the Levitical um, house could be priests. That's the point that Hebrews makes and then begins to have to explain that. And so in fulfillment of the law, he comes and proves that he is a perfect son. And in proving that he's a perfect son, that will lead to why he can be the exalted priest. Now, to those actions that you're talking about uh, in the gospel, right? So at least one of them uh, is the identification of his priesthood in baptism, uh, Mm -hmm. right? So he is baptized. And in the Old Testament, you see that the only place where you have um, one person washing with water another person is when uh, the priest, Moses in particular, uh, consecrates Aaron for his service in the priesthood. So you see that in Leviticus 8 and 9. And that's going to continue with the other sons of Aaron. And so in that baptismal role, you have a son of um, Aaron, so to speak, in John the Baptist who is baptizing Jesus. And here he is going to be anointed, not with water or not with oil, I should say, but with the spirit. Right. And so it's baptizing him for his priestly ministry that's going to go forward. Uh, and what does that priestly ministry look like? Well, a number of things. Uh, one would simply be just in obedience to the word of God, doing all that God had said. Right. In the Old Testament, the way in which the Levites set themselves apart from the sons, the maybe the firstborn sons of Israel, was that they sided with Moses there in Exodus 32 uh, when the people of Israel I think tempted Aaron to throw the gold into the fire and out pops this golden calf, right? So the Levites are going to be identified as now the assistants and the guardians of the priest. You see that in numbers three, you see that in Deuteronomy 33. Um, And so in that way, uh, we can see that the priests were always those who were in obedience to the word of God. And of course, Jesus comes and he does all that God commands. So he's perfectly obedient, he shows that he's a, a true son. Um, you see his teaching, right? In the Old Testament, we often associate teaching with prophets, uh, but prophets were sent when the priests failed to teach. And often they come and condemn the priests for their failure to teach the people the word of God. But in the Old Testament, Leviticus 10 and Malachi 2, uh, it talks about the way that the priests were to teach the people uh, the covenant laws. Uh, And so when Jesus comes and does that, and he is even, you know, was speaking with authority there, yes, he's functioning as uh, a new Moses uh, and the, the prophet who is like Moses, Deuteronomy 18, but he's also functioning as a priest because even Moses was kind of a a super priest, if you will, Um, he has a way of distinguishing uh, between clean and unclean. Uh, So even in his parables, Nicholas Perrin makes this point that his parables are made to kind of separate uh, the wheat and the chaff, those who are clean from those who are unclean because of those who believe and those who don't. Uh, And so in that regard, there's a separation that is taking place, which is at the very heart of what it meant to be a priest. Um, And in that context, you have something like a Matthew 8, uh, where there is healing that is going on. Um, And this shows, I think, that Jesus is a greater priest than all the priests in the Old Testament, because in the Old Testament, when someone was a leper, they would go to the priest and all the priest could do is say, yep, you're clean. Nope, you're not clean. Go and perform these duties and we'll check again in seven days, 14 days. But Jesus... Touches the leper in Matthew 8 and doesn't become unclean, but actually cleans or makes pure the leper and then tells him to go and to, to keep the law. And it's kind of the shot across the bow to say that there is a greater priest in town who has not only the power to adjudicate leprosy, but to actually heal it. Uh, So those are some of the things in his teaching ministry and his healing ministry. And then, of course, his interceding and his praying, as well as his sacrifice, offering himself up uh, on the cross is clearly uh, an aspect of his priestly sacrifice that is going to put an end to the priesthood of Levi, the Levitical priesthood, and is going to establish a new priesthood, especially when he is exalted on high, received into heaven and pours out his spirit on the church. So I think that's part of the five. You can tell me if I, if I got them off, there's more to, to talk about.
1: I think you just preached a sermon, brother. And it was good <laughs> That's good. That's good. It's like you preach or something, you know, something like little that. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, what are, what are some examples of the church focusing on scripture, praying and preaching?
0: Yeah. Um, so, I mean, obviously the priests were those who had access into the house of God um, and I think it's unique that in a passage like ephesians 2 uh, comes right after uh Jesus or uh, Paul's prayer in ephesians 1 where he speaks about the fact that all things have been put under the feet of Jesus right so he has all authority um, and he has been sat down at the right hand of the father like that language is coming from Psalm 110. Psalm 110, which is that priestly psalm um, that identifies a greater priest to come, the priest after the order of Melchizedek. And then what's striking to me is this strange verse, um, Ephesians 2, 5, right? That we have been made alive and seated with him in heavenly places. And you look around, it's like, wait, what does that mean, right? Like I'm seated here in you know, Northern Virginia, you're seated there you know, in Oregon. Where, where are we seated? I think what he's getting at is that we have priestly access into the presence of the throne of God right? That's Hebrews language, but it's also Ephesians three language, right? There's all sorts of temple imagery going on um, in the book of Ephesians as the temple is building and growing by the spirit being poured out, the word of God being preached. And so I think that's what he's saying is that you who are in Christ now have access to come into the presence of God, which means that we are to be a people who are bringing our prayers before God, both as we pray as individuals, but also when we gather together, if we are the living stones who, when we gather demonstrate the the local temple, if you will, it should be filled with the Word of God, the Word of God richly dwelling within you in the same way um, that the covenant law was written and put into the Ark of the Covenant. It was there in the tabernacle. When we gather, the Word of God should be going forward in that space, and we, the priests of God, should be offering praise and prayer to the Lord so that it is offered as incense uh, before the Lord in that way. And then, of course, when we scatter and we go out into the world, one of the things that you will see in Romans 15 and also in 1 Peter 2 uh, is that our priestly service is one of evangelism. The way that the New Testament teaches us to be priests in the world um, may have something to do with our vocation, and it may have something to do with salt and light and making the world a better place, maybe, but Paul identifies his priestly ministry with sharing the gospel with Gentiles. And Peter explains that we are uh, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, um, a chosen race, all of these things, so that we who were once not a people might have become a people. And we're now declaring the mercies of God to the ends of the earth. So that ministry of the priesthood is when we gather and we worship, but it's also then when we scatter and we witness to the things of Christ.
1: Yeah, that's really good. You know, one, one of the things you're talking about evangelism and making the connection here, bringing yeah. it kind of, we were talking about cultural icons, you know, Apple, I think it was a few years ago, started using the term evangelism, you know, becoming uh. an evangelist of their products. And you, if you look out in the culture, they use these terms yeah. that we used, and they change the, you know, they change the meaning. Uh. And uh, we we have to be very clear about as we go out. What we you know, not only what we're doing, but you know who we represent, and you just uh, illustrated that so well. So yeah, I think uh, that's really, really good stuff right there. How important is it that we have a good understanding of the high priestly ministry of Jesus? I think that this is probably one of the most neglected aspects of Jesus, but I also think that today, and I think it's also one of the most important for us to understand.
0: Yeah, it's really um, striking to say that because somebody emailed me the other day about that very thing that there was a person in their church who I think rightly um, was stressing the finished work of Christ and so if the work of Christ has been finished then what is he doing today and so I think this is where we need to realize well he is now applying uh, the finished work to his people and how does he do that well he does that by bringing his people by name before the father he is interceding on our behalf And then in the other direction, from the Father and the Son, he is sending the Spirit into the world to accomplish his purposes with the Word of God. Um, And so I think it's really important to think about this priestly session uh, that is taking place in heaven even right now. Uh, And so kind of the doctrine of the ascension is one that I think is often overlooked. Um, and I think if we were to recognize what it means that Christ ascended on high, was glorified there, man, it would have tremendous impact on our theology, have tremendous impact on our eschatology, and have tremendous impact on our day-to-day life to realize that Jesus is living to intercede for me, right? And that's why the Spirit of Christ is convicting me. And that is why the Spirit of Christ is affirming and confirming these things in me, because the Son is asking the Father to send the Spirit. So it's it's the triune work of God today in the lives of individuals. And as He's doing that, He is saving those as He is sending forth the Spirit for regeneration. And He is sanctifying us and protecting us and keeping us um, by the Spirit who is at work in us. And so I think that's just vitally important uh, to help us just to, to continue to walk faithfully in this world
1: yeah it's like you were talking about the priestly ministry of jesus in hebrews i mean hebrews 4 14 through 16 that very passage we all know it well we should all know it it summons <laughs> us before the throne of yeah. grace and why do we have a throne of grace well we know in the old testament it wasn't a throne of grace yeah. You know they had to make a they had to make a sacrifice once yeah. once a year and they had to wear all that special garb and clothing mm-hmm. and um, you know there's probably some debate you know you would know probably better than me about you know the the wearing of the rope on their on their foot so that yeah 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 drag yeah. them out or whatever but mm-hmm. um you know it just kind of illustrates the fact that you know we we have a throne twenty four seven that we can go to and you know we have a king and not only. A king, but we also have an advocate before the Father. First John two one through two, and yeah. you know that's that's amazing. You know, if you, if you really want to be blown away, just take a look at that. You know, we have a whole issue of theology for life for those that don't know about that. That's our magazine yeah. uh, at Servants of Grace, and we you know we have an issue on that. I would encourage our listeners to go mm-hmm. check that out. But um, yeah, I think it's I think it's what you said is really good, brother.
0: Yeah, I mean, just to add one verse to that, I mean, it's Hebrews 7.25, he he lives to intercede for us, right? And of course, that's in the context to say every other priest in the Old Testament died, right? So there were few really good priests in the Old Testament. And even when they had good priests, Jehoiada would be one example, he died, right? And when he died, um, you know, the king that was kind of under his sway deviated. Uh, like all of us are going to deviate from the Lord, we are going to shipwreck our faith unless Jesus is living to intercede for us. And mm-hmm. praise be to God, <laughs> he, Amen. Is. Amen. Right?
1: Amen. he is. Amen. Yeah. Amen. In what way does the high priestly ministry buttress our understanding of the sufficiency of Christ?
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, so if you think about it, if if Christ is you know sufficient for for everything in our salvation, well, we could, you know. Certainly, if we had the right understanding of the Holy Spirit, this wouldn't be the case. But, like, where's Jesus, right? You know, has Jesus done his work and he's on vacation now until he comes again? Of course not, right? I mean, again, this idea of his intercession and his ongoing ministry today, like, he's incredibly active. Um, You know, it might be helpful to remember that the priests in the Old Testament, when they went before the throne of God, when they were serving uh, there in the holy place, they were wearing the robe with all the names of the, the tribes, right? And so Jesus, when he died for us, he was dying for the people whom the father had given to him, those who he died for by name, those who he is called by name, those who he prays for by name. Uh, and so even today, like if we're to pray for the world, which we should, all we can do is pray in generalities, right? I'm gonna pray for the nation of Vietnam today. And I may not know anyone by name there. The Lord does. And so, I mean, this is, again, is the, the distinction between the weakness of our priestly prayers and the sufficiency and the glorious, you know, sufficiency of Christ's priestly prayers, uh, knowing exactly what needs to be prayed for and for whom.
1: Yeah, it's really good. Reminds me of Romans 8, you know, that intercession uh, with with groanings just, just reminded me of yeah. what you're talking about there. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. really good. Well, this is a big question. I'm sure you have lots of thoughts about this one. Uh, what are some ways that we see the priesthood of believers neglected today?
0: Yeah. I mean, do we even talk that way? I mean, it certainly is a Protestant doctrine, right? It's impossible to read Martin Luther and to, to see what he had said um, about the priesthood of believers. Um, so it's not just a Catholic idea. Of course, the Catholic idea is certainly a priesthood is a, you know, a different class uh, in the church. And there might be some uh, different traditions, Protestant traditions that would have kind of a priestly class or not. So, I mean, one of the distinctions between the the book that I've written and one by Andrew Malone, he comes from an Anglican tradition that would kind of have a, a This is probably the wrong way to say it, but a class distinction between the clergy and the laity, the priests who are there. Uh, And I want to make an argument to say, no, there is one high priest, and then there are all the priests who are then raised up in the church to serve in that way. And of course, a local church will recognize, um, you know, uh, qualified elders to be able to to teach in that regard, but they're not more priestly uh, than those in the pews. Uh, they may be more mature. They should be more mature. They should have a greater understanding of the word to be able to teach the word. Um, but really, this is something for all of us. And so I think the Acts is just talking this way. Um, it's very easy to talk about discipleship, to talk about reading the word, to talk about praying, to talk about all these kind of disconnected disciplines, which are good and right. But they're all tied together when we understand the identity of what it means to be a priest. And so Um, you know, it's kind of a running joke at our our church that, oh, he's going to talk about priesthood again, (laughs) but it's everywhere, right? I mean, it's, it's all throughout the scripture because it is tied to who we've created to be. So just one example of that I can think of would be like a first Timothy two, right? First Timothy two, eight says, I desire then that in every place, the men should pray lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Um, and again, we can read that and have a sense of understanding. But I really think one of the things that Paul's doing there is to identify men in the church. And that's not just men, because men and women are priests, which actually is different than the old covenant um, because of whole sorts of other things. But he's identifying men in the church to lift holy hands. Well, who in the Old Testament lifts holy hands? Well, priests do. Right. In the church, they're to be the priest leading the way so that they're not, you know, in anger, but rather they're in prayer with one another. Um, and it's in every place. Uh, That language of every place comes from Malachi 111, that God's purpose in the future is that incense will be offered on altars in every place. And so every local church now is to be filled with priests who are raising their prayers and raising their hands in praise and prayer to the Lord uh, in this way. And so you can see how a passage like that, that may not have... um, the word priest or the idea first and foremost on our mind is incredibly priestly. And when that takes place, it just frames the way that this is a thick identification of who we are, which then protects us from trying to be Christians, but then adding all these other identifications along the way.
1: Yep. And I think you know what it also does is it it distinguishes between, you know, between men and women, you know. I think this is one of the things I think that where people get really messed up on and they think, well. You know so what's the difference we're all equal in in christ and we're all just a priest but we have to remember we don't see any male priests i mean we, we would both both probably agree we don't see any you know uh female priests in the in the in the old testament and that there's basically the equivalent of a um today of like what we see of a pastor or or an elder so you know
0: yeah so I think one one thing to kind of keep in mind that this is where our covenants help us, right? One of the reasons why you don't see priests as women in the Old Testament um, is because the covenant was written into the flesh. It was circumcision of the flesh, right? right. And so the priestly role of entering into the presence of God— uh, was one for those who are set apart and made holy. So there were parts of time when the priests could not even be among the people because the people would defile them. Or strangely, uh, they would actually communicate holiness to the people uh, in certain ways. So there are all these different barriers that are there. So to, to think about the priesthood, you have to think about temple, you have to think of sacrifice, things about covenants. So all those go together. So in the Old Testament, women couldn't be priests in part because of some of the Levitical laws that even had to do with menstrual periods and unclean. That was there, which would be very different than today. And so I think it's important to say that men and women are priests because of the spirit today, because again, the circumcision is in the heart. And so as the spirit circumcises, as as the son baptizes um His people, men and women, into the spirit, there's a circumcision of the heart for men and women. And so I think there is a sense in which men and women are understood to be priests today, but that doesn't change the ordering that is found in the household of God, uh, both in husbands and wives, as well as the household of God that is gathered in the church, where the older brothers uh, are called to be leading uh, in the church, which doesn't mean it's men leading women, it's qualified men uh, who are recognized as elders elder brothers in the church to be teaching the word of God.
1: See, you just said what I, what I, what I was trying to say in a lot lot better way. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. We're on the same team, everybody. Okay. I promise we're on the same team. (laughs) All right. That's great. That's great. Well, um, how does a good understanding of the priesthood of believers affect our understanding of vocation?
0: Yeah. So again, um, just starting with our identity in Christ, Right? What it means to be a priest is to be oriented uh, towards the Lord, uh, towards his word, towards serving him. And therefore, because that is our chief uh, identity, everywhere we go, we we carry that with us. Right. So one of the things we didn't talk about earlier, where there are kind of three primary functions of a priest in the Old Testament. Right. So one of them is standing guard to make sure that the house of God is holy. Right. Adam failed to do that. Aaron failed to do that. Lots of priests failed to do that. That's what they were called to do, right? They were to stand guard there. So you think about the time of um, Uzzah, um, or not Uzzah, but Uzziah, as he goes in to offer incense and the priests come and kick him out. Like that's what they are to do. They were to guard the holy place of God. Then secondarily, they were to teach the people the word of God. Uh, so they were given the law of Moses to be to continue to teach the people. Even the Levites were placed throughout the land to be teaching the people that when they came into Jerusalem, when they approached God, this is how they are to conduct themselves. So there's a teaching component. And then thirdly, there's the sacrificial component, where they are the ones who is bringing the blood to the altar. So if you remember in Leviticus, you have the worshiper who's bringing the animal. They may even kill the animal, but then the blood is applied to the altar by the priest, right? So that's what the priest does. So today, uh, when we think about the priestly identity, we're, we're doing all that. We are standing guard over the things that are holy. So what are we doing in church discipline? Right. We're actually functioning as priests to say this person has proven themselves to be unholy because of their serial adultery or because of their serial um, thievery or, or whatever the case may be. And so to make sure that the house of God is pure and holy, we exercise discipline and remove them from the covenant people. Right. So that's one way. Or we think about the way that we are bringing sacrifices of praise and worship to the Lord or the gifts that we are giving to him. Um, So that's part of it. And then the teaching, right? Men and women who are teaching their children, uh, the things of the Lord, passing down the faith to them, um, teaching one another, exhorting one another, in things of the Lord, hearing the word of God and giving the amen to the word that is preached. So that's where our identity as priests is really um, enfleshed and formed out. But then with regard to vocation, we all have different vocations um, called into the the world. Some, you know, myself being a pastor, so my vocation is in the church, but many of our other elders are bivocational. Uh, Some work in the Pentagon, some are lawyers, some um, work in different nonprofits, uh, different things like that. And so they are then taking all that they've learned from the Lord as priests in the household of God and then seeking to be salt and light in the world. And again, if we allow scripture to inform us, to be uh, evangelists, to be witnesses uh, for the truth that is there so that they see that their mission is not disconnected from their priesthood, but their priestly role in Christ is informing all that they say and do.
1: Mm. That's really good. Really good. Well, brother, where can people go to find out more about you, or your work online, uh, your website, or social yeah. media?
0: Yeah, so um, I don't have a Facebook account. I decided that I was just gonna completely eliminate that a few years ago. I do have a Twitter account. Don't be upset if I don't follow back. I don't follow anyone right you now. You unfollowed me.
1: Yeah, I it's, did. Like, is is, like it's
0: not because I don't love you, right? I, you know, all the people, who fuck, it's not that. It's just uh, <laughs> to be able to, to run the, the, the straight race. Uh, I just said that's one way to do that. Um, So, but my blog is where I keep up most traffic. And so it's just David Schrock. That's S-C-H-R-O-C-K, Uh, davidschrock.com. So I put different things up there a couple of times a week. So there's Bible, theology, culture, church. Those are kind of the four things uh, that I will write about there. Um, And then if you're in the Northern Virginia area or visiting Washington, D.C., come join us on a Sunday morning.
1: Wonderful. Well, I, ha- I had to give you a hard time for unfollowing me, you know, I mean, <laughs> but uh, more seriously, guys, I encourage you to check out David's blog. You'll be blessed. And he does write uh, somewhat infrequently. I think I use your articles. Uh, so maybe I'll need to do that a little more yeah. uh, at Service of Grace. So, well, you know, Dave, there's a lot that we could uh, talk about about this topic. We've hit on a lot. And as I always say at the end, uh, you know, we're really only scratching the surface and that's yeah. extra true here. So, What what takeaways do you have for us, brother?
0: Yeah, I mean, again, I think just having our ears perked up to see or to hear in Scripture where it talks about priesthood is one helpful way to just see how the Bible fits together. Right? Certainly when we think about who Christ is, understanding his priesthood is something that takes some time uh, to see what the Old Testament is doing. This is why Leviticus is an important book. Um, right. Because it helps us to understand the logic of why Christ had to die the way that he did and why it is that he was raised on the third day and why it is that he now you know, is ascended to the right hand of God and why, you know, the vision of Christ that we see in Revelation is glorious in a way that the resurrected Christ on the earth is not because he hadn't been ascended in glory yet. And so understanding some of those things helps us to understand the the priestly glory and the Christology that is there. Of course, we've talked about discipleship and life in the church. Um, Again, I think priesthood is not just kind of one more way or window from the world that we live in today to understand the Bible, but it really is reading scripture on its own terms. Uh, And as we continue to apply that truth to our lives, it helps us to live out uh, the Christian life.
1: Mm. Well, brother, thank you so much for your time today. And it was so good to catch up with you before. Yeah. Uh, guys, uh guys, David's book is The Royal Priesthood and the Glory of God. It's part of the short studies in biblical theology that we've often talked about here on this show. I encourage you to pick up this volume and and any of the others in this series. It's great. David, thank you so much for your time and, and for Appreciate your work.
0: Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks,